0: Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keen.
1: We're live. We're back. We're back. We're in it. Episode 24. Let's fucking get into it. One away from 25... Big week this week, Billy. Big, big week this week. So um, let's dive in with UFC Rio Rancho went down last weekend. We had um, Corey Anderson taking on Jan Blahovich in the main event. What were your initial thoughts of that fight? I think we were both yeah. wrong and we both kind of slept on Jan a little bit.
0: Yeah, I uh, I don't feel too bad because I did say that, uh, you know, there's a chance that Jan throws a big overhand yeah. catches Corey. He's got a lot of power. Corey's been knocked out before. Um, But you're right. I mean, I think uh, everybody kind of expected Corey Anderson to win this fight. Everybody expected Corey Anderson to be the next in line to challenge Mm -hmm. for the light heavyweight belt. And Jan Bohovic came in and said, not so fast. Uh, I'm still in this division. I've really developed as a fighter. And, uh, you know, now it kind of looks like he could be the next to challenge John Jones.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I I said it on last week's episode. I thought Jan had some great counters. You saw, I mean, it's actually a pretty similar knockout to the one he had against Luke Rockhold. You know, it's just kind of a counter. There's like a check hook going away. And I think Corey was just maybe a little ambitious. And I don't know, maybe overlook Jan a little bit. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, Jan got it done. He got on the mic afterwards, said all the right things. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think if John decides to stay at light heavyweight, we're going to have to see a Jan Blachowicz fight. And then if he can get past Jan Blachowicz, then I think he either sets up for the gigantic, you know, rematch with Dom Reyes or a heavyweight move. So, um, yeah, what what did you think of Corey Anderson as a whole? I mean, I my heart goes out for the guy, you know, but I think it was a case of – I think he was just a little overconfident. I, I think he had – He felt like he was going to blow through Jan Blachowicz like he did in the first fight. And he got caught and he got put to sleep.
0: I kind of feel like Corey Anderson fell in love with his own hype and his own power, to be honest. I think, you know, he knocks out Johnny Walker. Everybody's Mm -hmm. talking about it. All of a sudden, he's no longer the decision machine. He's no longer the the boring wrestler. But realistically, I think he could have taken Jan to the ground and really done some damage with the ground and pound and really controlled him. But there wasn't even a, an attempt to grapple from Corey. He stood in there in the pocket and boxed with Jan Bohovic, and he paid for it.
1: Yeah. So, um, OK, so let's let's talk about this. So what obviously John, it was in Albuquerque, so John was cage side. What do you think this does for the light heavyweight pitcher? Assuming John decides to stay at light heavyweight,
0: so this is so eerily similar to me. And you know, we get another John Jones, Daniel Cormier parallel here. But right. if you remember when Cormier knocked out Stipe Miocic, and they were trying to pay him extra money to fight in Madison Square Garden, and he wouldn't take the uh, the fight against Miocic, but then all of a sudden Derek Lewis has the hot balls interview and. He takes the fight against Derrick Lewis in a heavyweight fight. And in interviews after, he DC said, I knew I could beat Derrick Lewis because Derrick Lewis had one chance to beat me. It was going to be a big swinging hook or an overhand power punch that was going to knock me out. And I felt that I could beat him in all other aspects of the game. That's how I feel about this Jan Blachowicz fight where... We're marketing him as this number one contender. He's next in line. Is he the guy to beat John Jones? And John's looking at it as, I'm so good defensively. That is my strength, is my defensive ability in the cage. And John, Jan Blovich has one route to beat John Jones, and it's that swinging hooks or overhands, power punches in, in boxing range to beat him. And I just think John is looking at it like... This is an easy way to pad my title <clears throat> defense record.
1: No, I agree. I, I think that's why you saw the reaction you did out of John, because I mean, let's be honest, John's smart. He's like Connor. He knows how to pick his shots, where to, you know, how to play the game. And the reality is he gave that reaction to a Jan Blachowicz knockout because in his mind, I bet he thinks Jan Bulhovich is a much easier matchup than Dom Reyes, um, and I agree. I think he's he wants to keep padding the stats of title defenses at light heavyweight and just put it out of reach.
0: Yeah, so I I actually see Jan as next for for John Jones. I think uh, we could see a, a potentially a quick turnaround um, and see him take this fight uh, sometime in the summer. But I uh, I see that as next, just because like you said, John's a very calculated guy. And I think this is an easy payday and an easy way to pad that title defense record.
1: Yeah, I, I heard rumblings this week that they're thinking about putting in on International Fight Week. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it would be the main event or co-main event or what, but that's a great fight to add to a big weekend. And, I mean, neither John obviously had a very, very close fight, but it's not like he took a tremendous amount of damage against Dom Reyes. And then, obviously, Jan Blachowicz took you know almost zero damage against Corey Anderson.
0: Yeah, I think um, if you're looking at an International Fight Week card, potentially with John Jones against Jan Blachowicz and uh, Kamaru Usman against Jorge Masvidal, I mean, that's, that's a hell of a card right there with just those two fights. And I think they're really starting to rethink International Fight Week and make that one of the premier events for the UFC, even more so than in years past.
1: Yeah. All right. So, um, <clears throat> Corey Anderson, obviously this is a big setback. He was a guy that was on a, you know, a role and he was, I think he was just overly confident and he got caught. It happens in this sport. Um, Corey Anderson's still a guy though, that I think can give John Jones a tough fight. You know, I think he's going to claw his way back up. What do you think's next for him?
0: I'd like to see him fight Vulcan Ozdemir. I think mm-hmm. they're guys who are at similar places in the light heavyweight division. Um, I think they're guys who are in the top ten, um, but maybe kind of back and forth results um as of late and have kind of contrasting styles. I think Vulcan is kind of this power puncher, um, primarily a striker, and then Corey anderson's base is grappling so i think that matchup makes sense for sorting out um kind of who's in that maybe the the middle area of the top 10 at light heavyweight
1: yeah all right well let's move on um next we're gonna have a lot to say about this the diego Sanchez i'm going need saga continues i may need a drink for this one I'm going to need at
0: least five recovery breaths before we start this conversation, partner. We're going
1: to have to do some Wim Hof, Josh Fabio breathing before we start this. Man, this was weird. This is one of the weirder things, experiences that I've seen around MMA since I've started watching. I mean, obviously, Diego Sanchez is an absolute legend in the sport. Tough number one winner. Just a guy that's, I mean, he has been the ultimate company man for the UFC for the past 15 years and to see the current state of D- Diego Sanchez I mean it honestly just makes me sad I mean the same kind of went for BJ Penn you know towards the end of his career you see a legend and then they're just not the same anymore and they keep hanging around hanging around hanging around and that's kind of the road I think Diego's going down so I don't know I just I hate to see this um Let's start with the fight. What, what did you think of the fight? Obviously, um, you know, he was basically getting dominated for three rounds, pretty much, and then takes an illegal knee from Michelle Pereira and gets a disqualification win. What did you think of the fight? You know, just watching it live.
0: So I thought that Michelle clearly won two rounds. Um,. I didn't get the same vibe that Diego was getting dominated that maybe a lot of people did. I think if you look at the strike statistics, they're shockingly close. I think, um, you know, the third round was by far the most dominant, and it was bad, and it was maybe going the way of a clear, unanimous decision. But there weren't very many moments where I was like, wow, this is hard to watch. Diego's taking a lot of damage. Um and I, I also just kind of feel like a lot of it had to do with a massive size advantage, where I felt that Diego really couldn't close the distance against Michelle Pereira. And I, I don't know if that's any different if Jackson Wink is in his corner instead of Josh Fabia. To be honest, I think it's just kind of a a disadvantage of physical attributes that played out. Uh, in the cage on Saturday night.
1: I think it was more than that. I mean, to me, the most frustrating part of that for me was just there was no game plan. There was no game plan. There was no setting anything up. He's just dancing around the cage doing this, like, Heisman pose. And it was just bizarre. And then the corner advice in between rounds. I mean, I I don't I, I was so frustrated watching that fight because I know what Diego Sanchez can do. I mean, three fights ago when he took that I think it was was it Craig White he took down and just beat the living shit out of him for three rounds? Where is that De- Diego Sanchez? Are you telling me that Diego Sanchez can't take down Michelle Pereira? You he I'm got telling taken you that down Michelle, by
0: Michelle Michelle Pereira is a lot better than Craig White. I'll come out and say that. Like, I really believe that Michelle Pereira is a lot better than Craig White. I think the the criticism of the corner advice is probably the most unfair to me because I think fighters and coaches have code in the corner all the time. I thought the Trevor Whitman criticism was pretty unfair. And, you know, when you have a situation like it was, what, two weeks ago that Colby Covington is complaining that um, his opponent, that Kamaru Usman was getting his corner advice fed to him in between rounds, um, that he was aware of of their game plan and their advice. Like, I, I don't think that that is the thing that Fabia should be criticized for. I think the problem with Josh Fabia and the, the fair criticism to look at is really twofold. It's, number one, like you said, the game plan.
1: I don't there know is, what the game, no game, plan game plan was. The game plan was to do some weird guru defense and try to avoid shots, which he, he did. On We'll talk about the Luke Thomas um, interview. But the one good point that he did make in Diego's last three fights, Diego has not taken hardly any damage, which is good. But there's no offense. There's no, there's no Diego pushing the fight. There's no takedown attempts. There's, there's nothing. It's like he's wait, 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 wait. the Let's, shots.
0: He beat the crap out of Mickey Gall, and Josh Fabia was his coach for that camp.
1: Josh like, Fabia, I think, was involved. I don't think that he was his coach. So the last two fights, um, who, who did he fight? Michael Chiesa was his last fight. And then Michelle Pereira, and both of them are very, very similar. It's like in the Michael Chiesa fight, he got taken down and act like he had no ground game at all. Like he had no idea what to do. He just sat there and got controlled by Michael Chiesa for what three rounds. And then here he acts like he doesn't know how to fight. He just goes around and tries to do this Heisman move, and that's the only thing I saw him do. And two Rolling Thunder's, and that was it.
0: I guess that's my what thing frustrated with it. me. My thing is. Do we really, like, Michael Chiesa just did that to Rafael Dos Anjos, too, who's yeah. a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like, are we are we really at the point now where we believe, like, 37-year-old Diego Sanchez should go out there and blow the doors off of Michael Chiesa, who's now a top-five guy at welterweight, and then he should blow the doors off of Michelle Pereira, who is clearly not in the same weight class as Diego Sanchez. Let's be honest here. He's, they're not know. the same size.
1: Like, it's hard. I'm not it's hard to watch your heroes die, Billy. It's hard to watch them go in decline and start getting into yoga in the cage. It's the weirdest. I, I don't like it. I don't like it, Diego. Eventually, he's going to get caught, and this is going to end very, very badly. I, I am
0: not saying that there's, like, there's not things to criticize Josh Fabia about because there are. And one of the major things that I have questions about is what kind of sparring partners, what kind of sparring is going on in that gym where it seems like it's just Fabia and Diego doing their thing. Even if this guy has techniques that work and can kind of condition Diego, who clearly already knows how to fight, to do things, I think if he's not getting him the proper sparring partners and not creating game plans and scouting his opponents, Those are fair criticisms.
1: I guarantee you, he did not spar once for this camp. I guarantee it, he did not spar once. I bet they, Josh Fabia attacked him with plastic knives, and he defended it. That was his sparring. It's bizarre. You watch it. Go to the dude's website and watch the shit he's doing. And maybe there's merit to some of it, but not not for a co-main event of a UFC fight. I mean, come on.
0: And here's my biggest thing, Parker, and we could talk about the Luke Thomas interview. We could talk about the Ariel Helwani interview. We could talk about the the Josh Gross interview and all these media rounds that Josh Fabia has made. But at the end of the day, in any industry, whether it's MMA coaching or landscaping or data analysis or whatever you want to do, if you're going to do new unorthodox things and you don't have a name in your industry, you are going to get criticized. And it doesn't matter if they work or if they don't work. You need to educate people and help them understand what you're doing to gain credibility. Josh Fabia has done a terrible, terrible job of educating the public on exactly how his training methods work. And all he's done is criticize the media and criticize Joe Rogan, who, by the way, was not even commentating the fight. He didn't even commentate the fight. He, just the got guy the Uzi, right. he
1: got the Uzi out and started spraying everyone in the MMA community. And, if you really believe yeah. that this works,
0: educate us. Tell us why it works. Tell us what you're doing. Like, if you're trying to calm Diego down because you think the pressure of fighting in his hometown is getting to him, and that's why you're having him take deep breaths in the corner, just say it. Come out and say it. It's not hard. Just educate us. But to come out and tell us, like, we're all idiots. You won't get bullied by us. Blah 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 blah. blah. All you're doing is inviting people to tell you you're weird. It's bizarre. It doesn't work. You're a con right. man. You're inviting yeah. your own criticisms. That's my problem with Josh Fabia.
1: Yeah, yeah. He talks a There's very my big soap game. Box. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to square up with Josh Fabia after the after the Luke Thomas interview. He just seems so arrogant and cocky, and he had no facts. He's just saying. Talk to the people I work with. Talk to the people I work with over and over again. I'm like, what? I don't think he knows what he does. And if you go check out his website, it is some of the most bizarre shit I've ever seen in my life. So give, let's give him a shout out. What is it? School of Spiritual Awakening or some weird shit? School of
0: Self-Awareness. School of Self-Awareness. Like, here's the thing. There's plenty of people who are real gurus, who when you look at it, at first it looks bizarre. And then a couple years later, literally everyone is doing their method. It happens across industries. But guess what? They educate people on why their methods work. And Josh Fabia is not doing that. And that's the problem with his whole approach. And that's why he's inviting all of this criticism. And at the end of the day, I feel bad for Diego Sanchez, who everyone thinks is getting hoodwinked. Everyone thinks is over the hill. And all he wants to do is continue doing what he loves, and that's fight in mixed martial arts
1: all right so what's the solution for Diego to turn this around and if he wants to keep fighting great but I don't want to see another fight like that that was hard to watch that's not the Diego Sanchez of old that Diego Sanchez brings nothing to the table and the reality is the UFC is not going to keep paying him when he gets paid to put out fights like that
0: I got two fights for you I think would be perfect matchups for Diego Sanchez number one Diego Sanchez against Cowboy Cerrone Love it. I'm down. Second fight. Diego Sanchez at 170. Okay. Yeah. Diego Sanchez against Anthony Pettis at 170.
1: That's fun too. Yeah. No, I was I had those two in my head, and then um he had mentioned, and I think Damian Maya mentioned um getting a fight with him too. That'd be fun. I don't know. Just to see a couple of legends get in there and mix it up. All right. Let's uh Let's stop bashing Josh Fabia and his spiritual awakening, and uh, let's move on. Okay, so another big talking point around this fight. A lot of people were saying Diego quit. Um, I personally, I I disagree with that. The the bottom line is there's rules in this sport. He got fouled. He probably got rocked. And he made a smart business decision. He walked away with probably an extra $100,000 that he wouldn't have walked away with if he kept fighting and lost a decision. So I, I had no problem with that, but especially when, I mean, look at the track record of Diego Sanchez. Um, if anyone can walk away with that decision and say he can't continue, as Diego Sanchez. He's taken more damage and more punishment over the years for our, our entertainment than virtually anyone in the sport. I was okay with that. What'd you think?
0: So uh... I've, I've gotten on my soapbox about this before too, but I have a real problem with this idea that MMA fighters quote-unquote quit, right? right? When in college football, if there's a targeting penalty and a guy gets tossed out of the game, do we say the guy that got hit quit? In basketball, right. if there's a flagrant foul, do we say he quit? In soccer, if there's a red card, do we say he quit? No, there's rules. There's rules, right. and if you right. break them... You get disqualified. It's a sport. Like, I don't understand why we're, like, obsessed with this idea of quitting. And, like, even I consider tapping, not quitting. It's a calculated decision. Your limbs are breaking. Your joints are breaking. Your ligaments are breaking. You are preventing yourself from fighting and making a living for longer if you don't tap to submissions. Like, how dare these people watch Diego Sanchez, a guy who has gone through the ringer, of contenders Mm -hmm. i was looking at his uh his wikipedia last night and looking through who he's fought diego sanchez fought shannon rich at heavyweight in his third mma fight
1: diego's the best
0: a quitter a quitter parker are you kidding me
1: that's the equivalent of Stephen a smith calling cowboy a quitter i mean the those two guys are legends of the sport. They fought everyone. They're two of the toughest. I mean, Diego is one of the toughest guys that the UFC has ever employed, I and mean, he's he's oh man, he's gone to war for us. The Martin Campman fight. He's coming forward for three rounds with his fucking face hanging off, and we're gonna call that guy a quitter. Come on,
0: you, Come if on. you call Diego Sanchez a quitter, you are telling <laughs> on yourself. You're telling on yourself that you don't understand the sport. You don't know the history. You haven't watched Diego Sanchez fight maybe ever. And quite frankly, I don't want to hear your opinion on MMA.
1: I'm going to give their address out and uh, Josh Fabia is going to come put a spell on them if they said that shit. That's ridiculous. (laughs) All right. um, So, yeah, I think we're both on the same page. Diego Sanchez did not quit. There's no quit in Diego Sanchez. He got fouled he made a smart business decision and realistically probably walked out of there a hundred thousand dollars richer. So, all right, next. um, So that brings me to our next point. What do you think of the 50 50 fighters pay? In my opinion, I think it's just one of these things that the UFC came up with in the early days as an incentive to get more knockouts, get more exciting fights, get more finishes. And to be honest, I just think it's dated and they need to improve it and change it. You see a lot of promotions, you know, hardly anyone else does that. So what what are your thoughts on the 50-50 pain? Do you think the UFC should should change that? And what would that do for their roster moving forward?
0: Yeah, I think they should definitely get rid of the 50-50 split in pay. I think... Um... The idea that a fighter is not going to try and win unless they're financially incentivized to do so Mm -hmm. is ridiculous at this point. Um, What I would like to see, though, is I'd like to see um, a bonus for fight finishes. So not just like KO of the night or submission of the night. Like, if you finish this fight, either by submission or by knockout or by technical knockout, you get a bonus on top of your already agreed upon purse because that encourages guys, even if they're in lopsided decisions, they can't coast because they're financially incentivized to go for the finish, which is, I think, what everyone wants in MMA is more finishes. So that's the only change I would make. But I think the 50-50 pay at this point, it was originally instituted to get rid of fight fixing, so, back when these guys were making even less than they do now, um, it was incentivizing them so hopefully that they wouldn't um, have someone paying them to fix the fight. But right. uh, I, I just I think it's outdated, like you said, and, and we should just go to an agreed-upon purse. You know what you're getting for stepping into the cage on fight night. And then incentivize these guys to go for finishes more often.
1: Yeah, and I think it was originally instated at like UFC 30, And it's just been one of these rules, which is back in 2001. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I agree. I I think the UFC is at a level now where it's so competitive. Everyone wants to get to the top. No one's going to throw fights. You know, everyone's going in there to win. And I I agree with you. I would like to see more bonuses as well. I think that's going to give us, you know, more action, um, just more consistent people going for the finish. And I, I think that's what the fans love to see. And I think that's what's going to continue to grow the sport. I mean, fans love finishes. So I'm down with that. Um, All right, last thing on the Diego Sanchez saga here. Um, Obviously, Diego Sanchez has had a very, very long career. For me, there's nothing left for him to do in this sport. He's done it all, you know, besides continue to collect a paycheck, which, you know, he he probably – he didn't get paid a tremendous amount, but he's made a – fair amount of money in his career so at this stage Diego Sanchez is 37 he's got this weird guru trainer in his corner and he seems like that's the only coaching direction he's getting these days do you think he can turn it around maybe go back to a legit camp and string together a couple more fights or would you like to see Diego Sanchez walk away from the sport here in the next you know year or so
0: Yeah, so I go back to the fact that I think Fabia was was definitely part of the team for the Mickey Gall fight, which was, that was Diego's best performance in years. I think it's hard when you're kind of one of these tweeners who, um, you know, weight cutting is dangerous. Weight cutting gets a lot harder as you get older. It's not good for your health. So I don't necessarily blame Diego for wanting to get away from the weight cut, but I also don't think he's competitive with 90% 90% of the guys at 170. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I think Diego's still got a lot of fight left in him. I think he's still motivated and training regularly. Even if you, could, you could debate whether or not the coaching he's receiving is good, but it's not a BJ Penn situation where he's barely in the gym. Like, I think he's in right. the gym. And... I I think uh at like if the UFC truly doesn't want to be in the Diego Sanchez business or doesn't feel he's worth the money they pay him or doesn't think he can cut it at this level anymore it's it's up to them to cut him like as long as they keep him on the roster and keep giving him deals if he wants to fight he gets to fight like that's kind of how it works and yeah I don't necessarily think Diego is like completely done like it's not like he's getting brutally knocked out um but i i do think that he's not really the guy to go up against these young up and coming, you know, big 170 pound fast guys who are really hungry to beat him. And so i i have no problem if he wants to continue to fight. I just have a lot of questions of it's st- if it's still in the UFC. Yeah,
1: what um what do you think the UFC could do differently? Obviously, BJ Penn is probably the worst case, but for these aging fighters that, you know, are clearly past their prime, what else could be done to ease these guys out of the promotion instead of, you know, watching them go out on their shield and get viciously knocked out, take unnecessary damage? I, I just wonder if the UFC, if something else could be done to usher these guys into the next phase of their life.
0: Yeah, something interesting that I've thought about is if you think about, like, the world of jiu-jitsu... Um, they have like masters tournaments, right? Where it's, you know, people over 30, over 35, over 40. And I wouldn't be opposed to that in MMA where maybe we're using bigger gloves or there's kind of different safety precautions, but basically setting it up where we kind of have these guys who are over 35 or over a certain number of fights and kind of match them up with each other in their own division and also give them something to compete for like a UFC master's belt or a UFC master's circuit of some sort. Um, I'm not opposed to that at all. Um, but again, like I said, you know, if the UFC doesn't think these guys can cut it at the absolute highest level, it's up to them to cut fighters and just holding on to guys and keeping guys in limbo and, Continuing to give them fights against young up and comers. Like, that's not doing these guys any favors. And it's very clear that it's also not helping usher them out of the sport.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. All right. um, Anything else on the Diego Sanchez? Can we move on?
0: We got to move on. I'm too fired up about it.
1: Diego, you're still a legend. I would love to get you on the podcast. I don't know how I feel about your guru, though. I'll have to, we'll have to give him some time. All right. Um, also in that fight, so your fight of the night was Jim Miller versus Scott Holt- Holtzman. That was an awesome fight. I texted you during that fight. That was just two veterans getting after it. What did you think about that fight?
0: Absolutely loved it. I think that's yeah. a great argument for this Masters division, right? Where, yeah. like, Jim Miller goes up against, um, you know, some of these guys and and some young, young up-and-comers. Like, the Poirier fight comes to mind, and like... Gets really beaten up badly. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, you know, matching him up with Holtzman and maybe putting some extra stakes on the fight potentially would would make it even better. But I thought that was great. I love seeing Jim Miller get a win. I'm a huge Jim Miller fan, so uh really enjoyed that one.
1: Fellow deer hunter, and I think finally recovered from Lyme's disease that he was dealing with for like five to six years. So I saw him in an interview. He, he said he actually feels better than he's felt in probably the last 10 years. You know, so, yeah, I, I always love watching a Jim Miller fight. And he's a guy, 31 wins now. He's got to be up there for the, the most wins in the UFC, right?
0: He's in the top
1: five. Yeah. All right, well, good win for Jim Miller. Um, also, talk a little bit about the Nathaniel Wood-John Dotson fight.
0: Yeah, so this is probably one that I thought we were the most wrong about. Um, We did not do well predicting this card
1: at all, but... um, Can I tell you what happened with my betting? What? Okay. (laughs) So, um, I won $100 off of Brock Weaver on an illegal knee. Okay? So, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Doubled down on Diego Sanchez. Won another $100 on an illegal knee. And then I loaded up on Corey Anderson and got just abused. <laughs> I, was, I lost three hundred and fifty dollars on the Corey Anderson. The fight, gam- the but... gambling
0: gods will will strike you down just when you're riding high.
1: Oh, just when I was riding high, they put me back in my place. But yeah, um, go ahead. Let's talk about the the. So I band, thought Dotson.
0: I thought Wood actually looked really good. I thought he was uh, he was winning the fight basically up until he lost, and then all of a yeah. sudden you see John Dodson come through hit him with a right hand and put him to sleep. I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a vintage John Dodson knockout. I remember watching an interview with Mighty Mouse saying that John Dodson was the hardest hitter he ever fought. So, wow. um, you know, maybe there's going to be a resurgence out of Dodson. I think, you know, he's still with Jackson Wink. Um, you know, he hasn't taken a ton of damage throughout his career. And I, I think there's kind of wide open for him at, at Bantamweight, but would love to see him go up against Pedro Munoz next. Think that's a
1: real firefight yeah no that's awesome all right so that was UFC Rio Rancho let's dive into UFC Auckland and then let's close the show with the fight of the century I'm so pumped for this fight let's do it let's go all right UFC Auckland um this one's gonna be a banger in your main event I believe it's Sunday morning is that right
0: no it's Saturday Saturday at like Five, I want to say. Okay, they're, they're
1: fighting Sunday morning in Auckland. So in we'll, New we'll Zealand. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so you got Paul the Irish Dragon Felder taking on Dan the Hangman Hooker. Um, what do you think of the matchup? I think this is a... Man, I think this is an awesome matchup.
0: I absolutely love it. And the thing I really love about it is in MMA these days, you kind of have two types of buildups. You have these these guys hate each other and Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to trash talk. They're going to say bad things about each other's managers, each other's mothers, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you have the, these guys are respectful martial artists and you know, they're going to respect each other's abilities and be really nice in the buildup, whatever. And this one is one where these guys are trash talking each other, but it's not disrespectful at all. It's, I am coming to kill this man on Saturday, on Sunday morning in New Zealand. I want to take his head off. I want to send it into orbit. It's not like I have a personal problem with Paul Felder. It's not Dan Hooker is an awful human being. It's not their camp sucks. It's not their fighting sucks. It's I am just coming to kill. I am coming yeah. to fight. And that is such an awesome buildup. And I really, really love it. And it's totally refreshing.
1: And this could be your fight of the year. This is one of my early predictions for fight of the year. I just think the build-up, these guys' style, both of them just refuse to die. I mean, you watch the, the Edson Barbosa versus Dan Hooker fight. Edson Barbosa picked Dan Hooker apart. He hit him like with like eight liver shots in a row, and Dan Hooker would not go away. And Paul Felder's that same guy. Paul Felder's going to come in there, and he's looking to fucking get after it get after it so all right um they've got a common opponent in james vick and edson barbosa uh felder went to a decision with vick and a decision to barbosa twice dan hooker got finished by barbosa and then knocked out vick viciously in either austin or houston i was at that one um so what do you think of the matchup stylistically
0: i uh I really like Dan Hooker in this fight. I think his length and his ability to keep Felder at bay and keep him out of uh, out of boxing range, out of the range of elbows is gonna be really important. Um I think Felder's at his best in stand up when he can fight in the clinch, when right. he can kind of take take guys down with trips and sweeps and, you know, really use those elbows. I mean, he has some of the best elbows in the lightweight division. But I think Hooker is so long that if he can use his kicks to go to the body, slow Felder down, keep him at distance, use some teeps right to the right to the solar plexus, um, I think he can really control the pace of this fight. And then when Felder goes to protect his body in the later rounds, I think Hooker can come in and get the kill shot because I think he he really has the power to finish him.
1: Yeah, um, I. I can't really add anything. I think you covered it all. Um, I will add both these guys come from great camps. Um, Felder from Duke Rufus, Dan Hooker from City Kickboxing. Um, I actually saw a video this week of, it was in the last week or so, of Dan Hooker and Israel Adesanya sparring. It's pretty fucking cool. Dan Hooker, man, he's he's slick. His striking is slick. Paul Felder is just a come-forward pressure classic Muay Thai fighter. I don't, I don't know what the hell's going to happen in this. Um, let's lay out some predictions, and then we'll talk about what this means for the light, lightweight division. What do you got? Um,
0: yeah, so like I said, I think, I think Dan Hooker is going to get a, a KO in the fourth or fifth round. I, I expect a complete striking war. I expect these guys to come out of the gates firing. I just think Dan Hooker, I think, has a 76-inch reach for a lightweight, which yeah. is – insane that's like yeah. he is so so long and i i think he's like continually improving i think eugene Behrman's a fantastic coach not that duke rufus isn't but um I, I just see him being able to keep felder at range but i also see a world where paul felder uses forward pressure he gets inside he gets the fight to the ground and he opens up cut after cut on dan hooker's face Because those elbows are so, so vicious.
1: No, I agree. All right, make your pick. What do you got?
0: Dan Hooker. I'm going to go with a a late fourth round KO by Dan Hooker. I think, uh, you know, fighting at home. uh, I think he's got the reach advantage. He's got the length advantage. and, And I just think he gets it done. But I think this is an absolute
1: war. I'm going to flip the script on you. I'm going to go Paul Felder. For me, I think this is Paul Felder's kind of last hoorah. This is his last crack at a run at the title. Um, I think it's going to be a war. I think we're going to get a four to five round war. I think Paul Felder's either going to catch Dan Hooker with some sort of spinning elbow or an elbow from the clinch. Or like you say, he's going to get him down and just go to fucking work with elbows. But I think this is going to be a bloodbath. This is... This is... The fans are going to win this fight. This is this is going to be a banger. So I'm going to go with Paul Felder. Um, ugh, fuck. Late stoppage. Fifth round stoppage Paul Felder. Spinning elbow or ground and pound. All right. There it is. All right. That's it. That's our predictions. Let's see if we can do better than uh, last week's shit show. All right. Um, so what does this fight mean for the... The lightweight division, obviously, you've got Khabib versus Tony coming up in April. You've got Justin Gaethje in limbo. You've got Connor kind of in limbo at 155 and 170. What do you think this fight means and what do you think is next for the winner of this fight?
0: Sure. So I think the current lightweight division in the UFC is the deepest division in any promotion in the history of the sport. I think it's deeper than Pride's heavyweight division. I think it's deeper than the heydays of the light heavyweight division in the UFC. Deeper yeah. than any WEC weight class. I I just think this lightweight division is has more talent than we've ever seen in MMA. Um, This would be a number one contender fight in any other division in the UFC or otherwise. I mean, these guys are really that good, but... Unfortunately, it's not. You still have Poirier, Gaethje, McGregor kind of out in limbo floating out there at 155. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the winner of this has one more fight for a number one contender spot, and then they fight for the title. And the stakes are huge because whoever loses this fight, I mean, I think we could see Felder retire if he loses this fight. I think Mm -hmm. if Hooker loses this fight, like it it sets him back multiple years in his pursuit of a title, um, and he may never get there. Um, so I'd really like to see the winner of this fight against Dustin Poirier. I think that's, that's a great fight to make.
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to go Justin Gaethje. I, the winner of this against Justin Gaethje, sign me the fuck up, sign me the fuck up. And at the end of the day, it, it's still Conor McGregor's show. This all of this uncertain uncertainty is just revolving around Connor McGregor but if i had my way and connor's not ready to fight you know say by may you make the winner of this versus Justin Gaethje at 155 these are guys that are serious about 155 they're coming for a title and i don't think gaethje wants to wait till september october to fight so um i love either of these guys against Justin Gaethje and both of them in the lead up are talking about fighting Justin Gaethje next so that's what I think is going to be at stake for the winner of this fight Um, what else there is is no there is no
0: way you could match up Dustin Poirier Justin Gaethje, Paul Felder and Dan Hooker in a way that I wouldn't watch you can match any of those guys against each other and I will 100% tune in and be so excited for that
1: fight Sign me up for all of it. I love it all. Um, all right, any other fights you want to talk about on this card? There's, you know, kind of, kind of a sneaky good card. But anything you want to talk about?
0: The only one that I want to highlight is uh, Kai Kara France against Tyson Nam. Um, I think uh, Kai Kara France was a guy that I really had my eye on um, in mm-hmm. the flyweight division. He's another city kickboxing guy and. You know, he's only 26 years old. So, he did lose to Brandon Moreno in his last fight, but I think this could be the fight that gets him back on track and I think he'll be looking to make a statement uh in his home country. Um and you know, Tyson Nam is a guy who looked really good coming out of Hawaii, but uh I always like watching the flyweight fights to be honest cuz they're so action-packed. So, mm-hmm. I'm excited for that one. How about you?
1: Man, Angela Hill taking a fight across the world on like a week and a half's notice—that's pretty gangster. That's that's almost James Krause level gangster.
0: I love Angela Hill. I, I'm yeah, a big Angela. I think Hill she fan. fought.
1: She fought what three weeks ago also. So, yeah, and I, oh, I thought. And
0: she beat the snot out of Hannah Cyphers in that fight.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that was. That was pretty fucking awesome. Uh, Brad Riddles, he's he corners um, Israel Alexander Volkanovski and Kai Kara-France. I believe he's a striking coach at City Kickboxing or one of them. But um, I, I haven't got a chance to see him fight. I hear he's pretty fucking unbelievable. So I'll be keeping an eye on him. Uh, the Jimmy Crute versus Mikel, can't say the last Polish name. That one's going to be a banger. Owen guys- o- Jaychuk. There you go. Those guys both throw down. Uh, Jimmy Crute was the guy that came off the Contender Series, I believe. And this Polish guy has got some serious power. So I, I think that one will be a banger. Um, besides that, you know, decent card with a fucking incredible main event. That main event, that's going to be must-watch TV. I really hope that comes on before the Tyson Fury-Wilder fight. Me too. Okay. Um, you want to talk about... Ryzen and Bellator real quick for the hardcore listeners out there and then we'll jump into Tyson Fury.
0: Yeah, I had I made Parker promise me he would give me like a minute and a half on the podcast this week to talk about Bellator and Ryzen. Yeah. Um so that's why this is happening, just for the listeners. I got three three well, one fight and then two other fighters I really want to highlight that are worth keeping an eye on this this weekend because I think uh Ryzen is is kind of a weak card by their standards. And Bellator lost their Ireland main event, which is was supposed to be James gallagher, so that's kind of a tough look and that card uh probably isn't that interesting to you if you live in the u s and then um as as is tradition in Bellator, they send kind of their uh their weaker cards to Thackerville, Oklahoma to Choctaw
1: uh casino so uh, I do like how they do the Friday Saturday night c- cards though that's i I like that that kind of sets them apart. You know a little bit.
0: Yeah. So here's my here's my three fights. The first one: Ed Ruth against Yaroslav Amosov. Ed Ruth is a four-time national champion wrestler from Penn State. Uh, mm-hmm. Two-fight win streak since losing to Neiman Gracie. But uh, he, uh, you know, last fight was close against the striker. And then Amosov is twenty-two and zero. He's beaten Gerald Harris and Dave Rickles, who are two guys that Bellator fans will recognize. And I think we could see the winner of this fighting Lorenz Larkin for a number one contender spot if the MVP Larkin fight does not get booked. So I think that's one to keep an eye on. Um, second fighter, Kiefer Crosby. He's a welterweight Vicious. out of SBG he's, Ireland. He's nasty. He's his yeah. only loss is an illegal knee by D, yep. an illegal knee DQ, so he's, he's undefeated in the cage, effectively. And I, I really think this guy is the future face of Irish MMA. I, I think he's that good. I think he could be undefeated for a long time. Um, really excited to watch him fight. And then on the Ryzen end, it's a, uh, it's a weaker card, but uh, headlined by the guy who Parker and I affectionately call the Japanese Nick Diaz, Mikuru right. Asakura, uh, he has his little brother, Kai, who beat Kyoji Horiguchi and fought for the Bantamweight title in Ryzen on New Year's mm-hmm. Eve. Um, he's beat virtually everyone at his weight class, 145, in Ryzen. And he won against Bellator heavy, or featherweight John Teixeira in a pretty lopsided decision. So I would keep an eye on this guy just because I think if Ryzen is going to survive and Ryzen is going to make a name for themselves in the, the crowded landscape of MMA... Um, this guy is gonna have to be a star for them, so I would keep my eye on Mikuru Asakura. But that's it from me, Parker, for uh, for your hardcore minute and a half.
1: A lot of fighting this week. Holy shit! There's a lot of fighting this week. Um, two current events. I just wanted to bring up: Valentina Shevchenko gets booked against Jojo Calderwood. Should the UFC just hire us for their matchmaking or what? Pretty sure we said that was next last week. Uh, that's a great fight. You know, I love Jojo. She's as tough as they come, but I'm sorry. She's not touching the spy. There's no way. No Next way. Next
0: victim up for the uh, the Russian spy.
1: Um, yep. So but, that's uh, booked. Um, also, I don't like this fight at all. Chris Weidman taking on Jack Hermanson back at middleweight. So Chris Weidman moved up to light heavyweight unsuccessfully, you know, got knocked out by Dom Reyes. Jack Hermanson coming off a pretty dominant loss to uh, Jared Cannonier. Not a great fight for Weidman. I, I, I don't know how many more times I want to watch Weidman do this. I, I think he's another one of these guys that's done it all. And I just don't want to see him hang on too long and continue to get knocked out.
0: Yeah, I'm glad he's back at 185 because yep. I do think that's the right weight class for him. But, you know, if. I think Weidman's been knocked out in, I think, four of his last five fights. Yeah, that's um, not good. You know, at, at, dating back to the Rockhold fight, I mean, I think he's been knocked out in four or five, and his only win is the head and arm choke over uh, Kelvin Gastelum, where he got rocked. Yeah. Uh, if your chin is gone, and, and it's, it's gone. starting to look that way for Weidman, there kind of are no good fights at that point. No, so, yeah, there's not... You know, I, I I hope he gets a win because I, I like Chris Weidman. I like watching Chris Weidman. But I agree with you that this is kind of a scary fight for me. And I, uh, I don't necessarily see this going all that well. No, me
1: either. All right. Piss break. And then we'll do 10 to 15 minutes on Wilder Fury. You got it. All right. All right. Let's get into it. Okay. Um, Let's do it, man. This was, for me, this is... The top two fights I'm looking forward to this year. I've said it multiple times, but this one, the Wilder Fury matchup is right there with Khabib, Tony for me. Um, let's dive into it. So what? I went back and watched the first fight this week. What were your thoughts on the first fight? Um, you know, going into the second fight, we've got two undefeated fighters again, Um what did you think of the the first fight? What did Wilder do best and what did Fury do best? And then we'll talk about this next fight, how we think that's going to go down.
0: Yeah. So I, uh, this is honestly one of my favorite boxing matches I've ever watched. Um, I had it roughly eight to four on rounds, um, but I thought Wilder had a ten eight in there. And so it was, it was a close fight and I was good with the draw because I thought it took Tyson more than 10 seconds to get up from the knockdown in the 12th, but um, never really felt that Wilder was in danger, but Fury is just such a masterful defensive fighter. And it was so on display that night that I felt like for much of the fight that Wilder really couldn't touch him and, and really just couldn't find how to get um, Fury to slow down. I mean, stylistically to me it's kind of like if Muhammad Ali fought Mike Tyson that's that's kind of like the the style matchup for me and that's as good as it gets in the sport of boxing in my opinion
1: yeah for me the first fight was I don't know the first fight really put boxing back on my radar and I think that first fight kind of saved the sport it just gave this rebirth to the heavyweight division you had Tyson Fury who had became the heavyweight champion when he beat took out the Klitschko brother and then He just goes on like a three-year hiatus where he gains like 100 pounds. He's on Coke. He's partying. He's drinking all the time. He's having suicidal thoughts. You know, he had just reached the mountaintop and he just went on a downward spiral. And then for him to come back and turn it around like he did, um, you know, with the help of that young trainer, Ben Davison, who I think won trainer of the year that year. But, um, I mean, that's stuff out of a movie. I mean, the comeback story for Tyson Fury was unbelievable. Um, I I really think that first fight, Deontay Wilder's camp, you know, thought that that was a crack to take out an out-of-shape, overweight, rusty Tyson Fury. And that just wasn't the case. I, I thought Tyson Fury outboxed him the entire fight and got caught twice. And even after he got caught obviously the first one he came back and won the round the second one he rose from the dead in the 12th round and came back and and won that round as well so i don't know that was an amazing first fight and really got the heavyweight boxing i mean back in motion and and all these guys you know anthony joshua ruiz can thank tyson fury and wilder for really putting heavyweight boxing back on the map but yeah, the first fight, I think Tyson, I think we had a Tyson Fury that was at about 75% of his potential. And he just absolutely outclassed Deontay Wilder, but he got caught twice. Um And I have, you know, James McSweeney, my MMA coach, his boxing coach is Freddie Roach. And Freddie Roach was in the corner of Tyson Fury. Uh, for that fight, and he said that that young guy Ben davison I think it was around the eighth or ninth round, told him that, "Hey, you've won the fight. Just coast and don't get hit." And the very next round, that's when he got clipped. So I think he changed to a more conservative style in that you know eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth round because he he thought he just had him beat on points and could coast, but. The reality is you can't ever do that against Deontay Wilder. So, um, yeah, that's what I thought of the first fight. But this act, two, this is a gigantic fight. I think this is huge for boxing. Uh, boxing has, to me, kind of been on the decline with the rise of MMA. Um, so this is, for me, this is gigantic. What do you think the importance of this fight is for boxing and the heavyweight division as a whole? And then these guys' legacy.
0: Yeah, so for me, I think this is the biggest boxing match since Canelo Triple G two, um, and I think it's the biggest heavyweight fight since Joshua Klitschko, where they had ninety thousand people in Wembley Stadium and the fire and all that, and Joshua really cemented himself as I would say a global star. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty telling that there's three M- like three major MMA promotions in action this weekend. And on every m m a podcast all over the combat sports world, the only thing people want to talk about is Wilder against fury too and yeah. and you know it's boxing is is kind of back. I would agree with you and and they have really fury and Wilder to thank, uh, at least in part for doing that. I think whoever wins this fight is going to be considered the the best active heavyweight mm-hmm. and I think if the winner of this fight goes on to be Anthony Joshua they would have a big argument for being the greatest of all time heavyweight boxer. Um,
1: no, I agree. And, I, yeah. I and agree. so I, I think
0: the stakes are absolutely massive. Um, and the thing that I think is, is worth mentioning for me is uh, since they last fought, like you said, you know, you think fury was at about 75% in that last fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, wilders fought two top 15 guys and mm-hmm. knocked them out in vicious fashion Uh, Fury has fought two relative nobodies and fought to close decisions and, you know, got cut really bad in the Otto Wallin fight and he split with Ben Davison. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a question for me is like, if that's 75% of Tyson Fury, why are we so sure we're getting 100% this time?
1: I just think he's, I don't know, Tyson Fury, you never know. He's such a complex individual, <laughs> I mean, with the mental health stuff, and then he's just so off the wall. He seems like a guy that would, you know, you'll just never get a read on him. Um, but in the last week or so, the build up, all the interviews, everything that I've heard and seen from him, he just looks super dialed in. Um, I think he realizes that he only has a couple left. I, I think I heard him say on maybe Ariel's show that – you know he's got two to three more fights left, which I would assume is this fight with Deontay Wilder. If he wins a mega fight in Wembley Stadium or somewhere gigantic with Anthony Joshua, and then maybe a third fight with Wilder, and then he's done. So I don't know. It 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 does revolve around Tyson Fury's mental state. Where is he at the moment? But when it comes to just straight boxing, I mean Tyson Fury is night and day a better boxer but Deontay Wilder's got that touch of death um he can put you out you know any second of the fight so you've got to be absolutely perfect for 12 rounds And really, no one's been able to do that besides Tyson Fury. And Tyson Fury is for sure the only person that's been able to recover from one of those bombs. So um, what do you think of the lead up in general? It was relatively quiet until this week. And then obviously they had the controversy at the weigh-in where they kind of got into it a little bit. Um, But what do you think of the lead up as a whole and the job that ESPN and uh, Fox are doing at building it up and promoting the fight?
0: I think the reality is in, in sports in general, and especially in combat sports, like, we're kind of living week to week, right? Like, um, we're not talking about fights that are more more than a week away or um, not happening that weekend. And right. I could tell you right now that this particular fight is getting buzz among people who tell me boxing is boring, uh, yeah. among... MMA fans, among general sports fans. Everybody knows it's happening. Everybody knows when it's happening. So I actually think the buildup for this fight is going really well and it's getting a ton of buzz. And I love the the promotion of the face off. I love, you know, kind of the conversations they've been having with Fury and Wilder going back and forth about, you know, who's bigger, who's more important. Tyson Fury saying he's going to knock out Wilder and Wilder calling him pillow fists and all that, I, I think actually they're doing a great job of building this fight it just feels like a really really big deal
1: it really does, it feels like a gigantic I mean, worldwide fight um, yeah, so numbers wise um, on the pay-per-view I think we both agree it's it's got to do over 1.5 million dollars um, I would think you know the- 1.5 million buys my yeah sorry 1.5 million dollar buy. 1.5 million buys sorry i'm getting sleepy um yeah i heard i think it was garrett davies says he he predicted these guys will walk away with about 35 to 40 million dollars so gigantic paydays for both of these guys um the one thing i mean there were some rumors that maybe tyson had gotten knocked out in sparring and maybe that's why he split with his trainer um i tend to not you know follow a lot of that stuff i think that's you know, just media members trying to throw something in there to get some headlines. Um, but one thing I am worried about that that cut that he suffered against Otto Wallen in I think it was either Brooklyn or New York. I mean, that was a really really bad cut, and I'm worried if Wilder catches him early, that that cut busts wide open, and you know he's got two corner, he's got two cut men in his corner apparently, Stitch Duran, who's a legend of MMA and boxing and then another guy to control that cut if something were to happen. What do you you think about that cut, and do you think that could be an issue in the fight?
0: Yeah, I, well, to go back to the camp rumors, you know, there's also the rumor floating around that Klitschko knocked out Wilder in sparring, you know, back in the day, too. You know, I I, am with you. I don't believe any of these things until I've actually seen the footage, Um, but, Tyson looked really mortal against Otto Wallin. and Otto Wallin is not the caliber of puncher that Deontay Wilder is. And I think Tyson, it's just the wear and tear from years of boxing. Like you get scar tissue on your face. It, it cuts easier. Um, it, it's the reality of the sport, it, you know, you father time still undefeated, you know, the amount of rounds that this guy has put in, it's, it's bound to happen. And so I, I'm I am worried about that um if I'm if I'm in Tyson Fury's corner that if this guy gets caught with a couple good punches, like not only could he go down, because like you said, Wilder's got the touch of death, but you know, it could also split open something that could end up ending the fight via doctor stoppage.
1: Yeah, and that would be the worst case scenario for this fight. That would be similar to the Nate Diaz George of ending, where just the biggest buzzkill of all time. But um all right, so round two. Um Let's lay out—you're going to lay out Wilder. I'll lay out Tyson Fury, what they need to do to win and what they need to change from the first fight. Um, For me, Tyson Fury, the obvious one's got to stay away from that right hand. I mean, that's a given. You're fighting Deontay Wilder. Stay the fuck away from that right hand. Be safe. Um, Number two, he, in the first— Fight did a brilliant job of using his head movement, his defense, his movement in general to just evade Deontay Wilder and not take any big shots, but he didn't do hardly anything to capitalize. He had a couple good, you know, one, two counters, but I think I want to see a more aggressive Tyson Fury that when he makes Wilder miss, he comes back with three, four shot combos. And I think that's going to wear down Deontay Wilder if he's able to do that um because Deontay Wilder you've seen it in the Ortiz fight you saw it in the Tyson Fury fight you've seen in a couple other of his fights he's going to carry that power if you don't bring the fight to him if if you don't make him fight and you just kind of evade and stay away from that hand he's going to carry that power into the later rounds and he can be dangerous till the last bell so for Fury I would like to see him you know keep that same head movement and then make him pay. When Wilder misses with one of those bombs, hit him three or four times. Um, second, I I think I heard Teddy Atlas talking about this, but in the first fight, it was like 95% of the time, he would duck to the right and then weave back under. I I think he can't get too predictable. if If he falls in a pattern of doing the same thing over and over and over again. Wilder's gonna be wise to that and catch him with a huge uppercut when he does that. He did that probably twenty-five times in the first fight. And I think that's a that's a big deal. He can't get too predictable because you know Wilder's team's been watching the tape and they they're gonna have an answer for that. Um I would like to see him fight not I like to see him mix it up. I would like to see him, you know, stay at a distance, miss those big bombs but i would also like to see him get in there tight dirty where wilder wilder can't use a, that length i think he's got a 7 foot 2 feet uh wingspan something ridiculous so when you're at you know distance from him that gives him space to load up and land one of those gigantic bombs even if it doesn't if it hits your glove it's still going to fucking rock you he's got a lot of momentum when he has that space to come at you like that so I would like to see him kind of fight like he did in the Otto Wallin fight after he got hurt. Stay in close. Make it a dirty fight. Push Wilder up against the ropes. Hit him with uppercuts. Work his body. Um, So I'd like to see that. And then, I mean, the last note, I said this for the first fight. I mean, Tyson Fury's got to be on his fucking game. He's got to bring 12 rounds of perfection. If not, Wilder's got the potential to put him out with one punch and yeah so that those are my thoughts for tyson fury obviously i'm a giant tyson fury fan and i i think he's got to make some slight adjustments you know from the first fight and to get this done again
0: yeah i think for for wilder the thing that i have noticed in the past you know there's not a lot you could take from the dominic brazil fight to be honest um ended no. pretty quickly um but From the second Luis Ortiz fight, I think what you saw from Wilder is my first note for what he needs to do against uh, uh, Fury in their second fight is use that pawing jab to measure the distance. I think he did a much better job against Luis Ortiz to kind of pawing at him, you know, gauging where where he needed to be. And it wasn't winning him rounds, but ultimately it was setting him up for the KO. And the other thing that he did really well in that fight is set up that right hand with feints. He would kind of faint with his shoulder, like mm-hmm. you know, a lot of like quick turns and shrugs to um, kind of read Ortiz's movement, and that was really setting up that that right hand. Um, after rewatching the the first fight too, I thought Wilder didn't go to the body early enough against Fury. Mm-hmm. I thought he was he was head hunting a little bit in the early rounds, which may lead back to your idea that they thought they were catching kind of a 75% Fury, but I want to see him go to the body early. I want to see him really attack that body and see if he could slow down Fury because I I think Wilder is such a powerful puncher that even if it's just like kind of these these small baby hooks to the body or even jabs to the body, I think he could do some damage that will make Tyson slow down a little bit and, and take away that gas tank. And then... The, the biggest thing and the only way he really wins this fight is when Tyson makes mistakes and gets predictable in his movement, you start to read his movement, you have to land that big right hand. You're not going to yeah. win a decision against Tyson Fury. So he's yeah. got to capitalize on those mistakes and really seize the moment, which he did a great job against Luis Ortiz, I thought, of seizing the moment as soon as Ortiz made a mistake. Um but I just think he's got to get in there, hit him with that right hand, hit him with that touch of death, and put Tyson Fury to sleep.
1: All right. Let's do it. It's time for the prediction. I'll let you go first. What's your prediction?
0: Till this day. Till this day, Parker.
1: <laughs>
0: Eighth round knockout, Deontay Wilder. Um, I, I just think, like, He's a guy who I think we forget how little he's actually boxed. And so Mm -hmm. I still think he's really improving leaps and bounds every time he gets in that ring and getting much better at actual boxing. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, the power's not going away. And I think Fury is actually on the decline. I think he's kind of exiting his athletic prime. I think that's why you're hearing him talk like I only have two or three more left. I mean, he could say all he wants that he has nothing left to accomplish, but at the end of the day, like, everyone's got something to accomplish when they're making $35, $40 million paychecks. I, I, think, uh, yeah. I think he's he's on his way down, and I think Deontay's still getting better, and I, I think he's going to knock him out in the eighth round.
1: Okay, I'm rolling with the Gypsy King. Uh, I think all this back and forth about him saying he's going to go in there and knock out Deontay Wilder, I think that's all head games. I, I don't think he's going gonna... <sighs> to... I don't know. I just don't think he's going to fight reckless because he's got to be cautious with that right hand. I think you're going to see a, a more improved version of what you saw the first round, the first fight. You're going to see a Tyson Fury that can go in there, make Deontay Wilder miss, frustrate him, get you know way, way ahead on the scoreboards. And then I think he is going to capitalize on some of these shots and hurt Wilder. Uh, I think it's going to be a very close fight. Anytime Wilder fights, you're always on the edge of your seat because he can flip the script and a Fucking drop of a hat. Um, I'm going to go with Tyson Fury. I just think, I don't think you're beating that guy right now. I think Tyson Fury is going to be the heavyweight of our generation. He's a fighting man. The Gypsy King is going to win by decision. He's going to get on the mic. He's going to sing a beautiful song. And then he's going to call out Anthony Joshua for a super mega fight in London. Let's fucking go.
0: He's going to be singing that song from his hospital bed when Deontay Wilder puts
1: his lights <laughs> on, my friend. I hate to break it to you. Oh, Jesus. All right. Saturday night. One day away. Big, big, big week this week. Um, yeah, so episode 24, we covered a lot. We're hour and 10 minutes. Um, yeah. Everyone keep tuning in. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a like. Word of mouth, share with your friends, and we'll keep putting out content week after week around all the big fights. Any closing words from you, Billy?
0: You know, man, I I think weeks like this, it's going to be such a marathon, everyone. Just, you know, fire up the Bellator Friday night as your appetizer. Let's hope the UFC main event finishes before Fury Wilder. And then right when Fury Wilder's over, guess what? It's rising time, baby. We got Japanese <laughs> MMA, so you could go all weekend and do nothing but watch fights. So, uh, always excited for that. But uh, like, share, subscribe, review, um, you know, interact with us on social media, and uh, and let us know how we're doing. But uh, yeah, great episode, Parker.
1: This weekend's for the travelers. We'll see you tomorrow. Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Dan Hooker, Paul Felder. The Irish will rule the weekend. Signing off episode 24 we'll be back for 25 next week with a lot of drama to discuss so everyone please like share subscribe we'll keep it rolling thank you for tuning in episode 24 good night
0: thanks for listening to parker's mma show take a moment to rate and review on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and visit parkerkeensmmashow.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.